Good evening and welcome to Mets 360 here on CAST. I'm your host Brian Jura and I'm joined tonight by the, the newest writer over at Mets 360 and that's Brendan Vacris. Brendan, thanks so much for A, for becoming a writer at the site and B, for joining us on the podcast tonight. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Brian. Um, thank you so much for having me on the writing team. Uh, it was a cool Christmas present to see that job posting and uh, I'm excited to and turn to the podcasting now, world as well. Brendan's a student at the University of Virginia, which is one of the finest uh, academic institutions in the land. But as we were talking about right before we came on live, they, they play maybe the ugliest basketball style that there is. So do, do you want to defend <laughs> the Cavaliers here? Yeah, I, I, I'll, I bleed blue and orange uh, both ways, Mets and Cavaliers. And uh, I just think ACC record last four years five years says it all well I'm, I'm an nc state fan went to nc state so i look forward to when we go up against the cavaliers we only played the, oh, yeah, we, a couple we only played them yeah. uh in charlottesville last year and i think we've got a little bit of a better team this year assuming markel johnson is back no definitely so um hopefully we'll give a uh, a better a better showing but uh I'm, I'm sure you recall a couple of years ago in the uh, ncaa tournament you went up against our coach when he was at unc wilmington and had quite a first round uh, matchup oh yes no and uh my brother went to william and mary and so i followed the caa for a while uh he had he was a great coach there and uh immediately turned around to see state so you guys definitely have a keeper well there. i'd love to sit here and, and talk about college basketball but the reason we're here <laughs> is about the mets so let's jump right into it and uh one guy who's All been right. on my mind a lot lately is brandon nimmo and you think back to this time last year and it seems like more people were thinking about nimmo being uh like a like a first round bust than he was an everyday player and then he turned around and had a tremendous 2018 so what i want to know is do you think he can come close to that type of production again or do you think he was more of maybe a, a one-year wonder type guy yes it was definitely great to see uh, his production last year um again as you said everyone kind of saw him as a fourth outfielder he wasn't the best defender he was a light hitting he was, couldn't hit enough for the corners couldn't play defense for center but i think he proved both those uh labels wrong last year with both his bat and glove and uh it was great to see him atop the lineup card you uh you touched upon this in your projections Wednesday on the site. Uh, his bat pip was among the 15th highest in the league, and obviously that's a large red flag. Uh, most players can't keep up the near 400 bat pip numbers for season to season, but uh, and that probably in part uh, explains his high on base percentage and batting average. But I definitely think the tools are all there and. Even with uh, with a hopefully improved lineup around him, he'll be able to keep up those numbers. And if his uh, approach at the plate doesn't change, um, I think he'll have another solid 2019. Maybe not as elite as 2018 was, but I think he's still going to be a fixture in this lineup for the next few years. The thing that really caught me off guard about Nimmo's season in 2018 was the power that came with everything. We had an idea that he was a very good uh, on-base guy. I think his minor league career was like 380, and prior to last year in short stints in the majors, it was in the 360 range. So the the on-base percentage was expected, but the power last year was really a surprise. Do you think he can keep that up? I was surprised by that, too. Um, I guess the saying goes, power is often the last tool to uh, materialize in players, but... 
I I think he can. He seemed to adjust to the pitchers um, when they adjusted to him uh, over the course of the year. It wasn't just like he had a great April and March, uh, April and May. But uh, I don't know if he'll ever be a 20, 30 home run guy. But if he can get in 15 and uh, contribute, and a lot of doubles, honestly. It's not just about the one home run number, but his overall slugging line. Uh, it was really solid, so I think that can continue to develop as he gets stronger and a little older. Um, Sometimes yeah. what gets lost with Nimmo is when he was drafted, he was touted as a five-tool player, and then he got beset by some injuries during the minor league during his minor league seasons. That's right. So perhaps being fully healthy will allow some of that uh, latent power to develop, or at least that's what I tell myself. I am concerned about the the <laughs> home run drop off that he had in the, in the second half of last season. But let's uh, shift around a little bit and talk about a guy who he was on the Mets for three years, but uh, now he's uh, elsewhere, and that's Azrubel Cabrera. He just recently signed a, a one-year, $3.5 million deal with Texas. And I know a lot of people were, were thinking about him and comparing him to Jed Lowry. And when the Mets signed Lowry, they thought they were getting a, a pretty good deal. Uh, but uh, Cabrera came at a, a significantly cheaper amount. Um, does that make the the Lowry signing uh, an overpay in hindsight? Um, in hindsight, probably a little bit. Uh, the market has been lower in general uh, this off season. Maybe that speaks to the general decline in uh, the large three hundred dollar, uh, not three hundred dollar, uh, millions of dollars that thrown out in free agents. Uh, people are starting to spend on free agents for what they will be not what they have done and I think that speaks to the movement around baseball but honestly I was very happy with the Jed Larry sign him again we got him below market value and while their numbers are very close over the last three or so seasons I think again this isn't super driven by statistical analysis or anything but my gut says that Jed Lowry will be a better player in the next couple of years. But it is a bummer to see uh, the big dollar discrepancy. Now, to be honest, I was never a huge fan of Jubal Cabrera. I certainly respected what he gave the team uh, his first year with the club in 2016. Uh, but he, he certainly had a, a fall off, uh, especially on the defensive end, from that point forward. And... I haven't seen a whole lot of Lowry, but I, I find it very hard to believe that he's not better defensively than Cabrera. Yes, playing the AL, I haven't seen much of Lowry last few years either, but as Drupal is most certainly not a shortstop anymore, and um, even slow for second and third. I think there were times when Asdrubal was our best offensive player, which was not a, a winning <laughs> strategy by any means. Uh, so it's good to see the, the increased depth this year and hopefully some power bats. But, again, I think we there's a little fatigue around uh, Cabrera. We, again, three years we traded him to the Phillies, and I think we just were ready to close the book and try a new face. Perhaps the best thing about watching as Jubal Cabrera for the last few years is that when we see Robinson Cano, his startling lack of range won't really be a shock. It'll be just like business as usual. <laughs> and... Uh, he, yeah, uh, Cano's got a, a super arm. Uh, I think he's got a reliable glove and a super arm, but uh, I'm I'm not expecting a lot of uh, highlight real defensive plays from him. But no, well, we haven't had many exactly. from the middle infield uh, last few exactly. years. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, a- another guy who's been on my mind here recently is Jason Vargas, uh, who was pretty much dismal for the first two thirds of the year, and then um, kind of ended uh, 2018 on a strong note. Um, 
how do you feel about him? Or, uh, I, I guess I would describe myself as, as cautiously optimistic. Do you think that's reasonable? Do you think he could put up an ERA around four over like 30 starts in 2019? I think that isn't out of the question. Uh, I'm not a huge believer in Jason Vargas, though. I think his 2017 season was uh, a little overhyped because of his strong first half and all-star appearance uh, with the Royals, and I think he kind of regressed back to the pitcher he really has been for most of his career. Um, Again, fifth starter, not terrible. Uh, Whatever we can get from him would be great. Again, ERA around four for 30 starts. I would most certainly take that. Is that reasonable? Uh, I'm not sure. I can see him maybe missing some time or flipping back and forth between the pen and the rotation. But it is good to have another major league arm in that staff. So definitely happy to have him, but not don't have the highest expectations. Well, uh, understood about the expectations. I guess the the thing is, if he can put up those types of numbers that we were talking about, that that would be re- uh, really good production for for a fifth starter. And yeah, that would be and, yes. And to me, uh, I, certainly last year he had some injury troubles and I think he had Tommy John uh, earlier than that but I don't That's right. think that it's just been a history of of arm injuries or, or whatever keeping him off the shelf so uh, I, I see 30 starts assuming that he's productive enough to keep throwing out there every five days which I guess at his age you can't uh, uh, put down as a given but certainly after I'd rather that he ended the season strong rather than started off strong and then fizzled out altogether that is an excellent point there, yes. It, August and September numbers seem to correlate more to the next season. Now, one thing that caught my, my eye here recently was reading over on Mets blog that uh, uh, the new GM, uh, Brody Von Wagenen, said that outfield would be a primary role for Jeff McNeil. So how do you think uh, infielder Jeff McNeil, second baseman Jeff McNeil, will, will handle being <laughs> uh, primarily an outfielder? I think the move makes sense just by the roster construction. Uh, I thought it was a little bold of Brody Van Wagenen to flat out say his primary role will be that. Usually uh, managers and GMs in the offseason will say we're going to try him in the outfield during spring training. But, I mean, he's a young guy, and uh, I think he's enough of an athlete that he'll be able to pick it up uh, that left field spot. Again, don't need the best arm there or the best range but uh and it's pretty easy to see the ball off the bat from left field um i think he would be able to adjust again i'm optimistic i'd love to see his great contact back out there but uh i think it was a little strange for uh the mets to come out so strong saying that he would have primary primarily an outfield role and not that we're just going to experiment well it, it could be one of two things i guess one it could be the the, the boldness that they talked about when they hired Van Wagenen or mm-hmm. it, it could be that they, they know there's no role for him in the infield so if they, they he's going to see any playing time whatsoever it's going to come in the outfield so how many plate appearances uh, might you expect to see from McNeil this year? Um, I think slightly under, I don't think he'll be an everyday player just because with all the adjustments um, and the huge the, the amount of depth but the reason we have all this depth is because we've been so injured the last few years, and I think uh, 
he'll be playing every day by if he's healthy by May or June. So I think maybe upwards of 500 play appearances for him. Certainly when news of the Cano deal came out, the idea of, of McNeil playing, getting 500 uh, plate appearances in a season seemed to be a pipe dream. But the, the news that they're going to be so aggressive with his outfield placement, I think that's certainly within play. And frankly, I'm, I'm happy about it. Uh, I'm willing to sacrifice yeah. a little bit of outfield defense if he can be the type of hitter that he was last year. It was refreshing to see the Mets get a break and uh, find this almost diamond in the rough. Again, he's only played about half a season, uh, so we shouldn't jump to conclusions so quickly. But it, it was nice to see um, his bat kind of seemingly come out of nowhere uh, once he was finally healthy. And um, a bit of a late bloomer. Again, he was late to the game, uh, only starting out late in high school. But I think he'll be able to adjust to outfield and uh, a lot of Mets fans were worried when he was in the trade talks for Robinson Cano, uh, which made sense because we would lose our, his second base uh, pathway in New York. But with this outfield option and him being enough of an athlete and still uh, relatively young, uh, it's good to see him in the lineup. It will be good to see him. Well, least. let's take more of a, a big picture look at things right now. And Mickey Calloway said that the Mets significantly upgraded the roster this offseason, and we certainly would like to think that but one thing that occurs to me is did they really seriously upgrade the roster especially if we compare it to how we felt uh, on opening day last year I mean on opening day last year I think we had pretty big hopes for uh, Jay Bruce I think we had pretty big hopes for Ioannis Cespedes and I think we had pretty big hopes for Todd Frazier and do the guys that we have now have more potential than those three had in 2017 well, it's it's a bit bit of a bit ironic that last opening day we added um, we had four new all stars on our team and it's the same number this year, so uh, former all stars that is uh, throughout their career. So uh, yes, there is some worry with that. I think uh, there are a lot of um, reasons that the Jay Bruce Todd Frazier um, many of those deals didn't work out. Uh, it was a down market and. Even the Mets' own analytics department didn't like the re-signing of Jay Bruce. Uh, I think there's a lot more, um, a lot more opportunity for success with this new crew that's come in, and it seems to be that not only do they have you know the the big names, the Robinson Cano, the Jed Lowry's, but they also have the J.D. Davis and the 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 depth of the world to uh, protect those guys um, as the season goes on. So I. So significantly upgrade, I think uh, Mickey Calloway is reasonable to say that, at least during the optimistic time of January. <laughs> it, it's easy to get away with uh, uh, sayings like that uh, <laughs> before the games are actually played. I, I remember yeah. <laughs> that uh, every year Sparky Anderson, both in Cincinnati and Detroit, would pick somebody out and would go on and on like this was the second coming of Mickey Mantle or somebody. So, you know, may, uh, to, to me, the, the Callaway <laughs> line is, is uh, a little bit in that same vein. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you're not optimistic in January, um, like the, the Tigers seem to be a recent uh press conference with their management uh not saying they're going to compete till 2021 i think uh if you're not optimistic in january then you're yeah exactly and, and certainly we've seen some of these teams in in recent years prior to 2015 where yeah, that was our uh, our lot <laughs> in life 
Uh, I want to talk about the, uh, the bullpen here for a second. Uh, the big news here recently, right. the Mets signed uh, Justin Wilson to a to a two-year deal. Uh, Wilson is a, a, yeah. a lefty reliever, but he's not necessarily a lefty specialist. And I think that the guy that perhaps might fill that role for the Mets uh, this year is uh, uh, Luis Avalon, who, who they picked up on a, on a minor league deal. And in one of those rare moves that the Mets make, it seems like everyone has said, oh, yeah, that was a really good move. You know, usually it's the LOL Mets and, and all the rest of it, but it seems like everyone has praised this minor league deal that they've, they've moved. So tell me what you think of Avalon first off and then secondly if if signing Avalon to this minor league deal was such a great move on the Mets part how bad does that make paying Jerry Blevins last year eight million dollars to be their lefty specialist especially considering he couldn't get out Bryce Harper or or Freddie Freeman I hate to just repeat uh, the rest of the Mets universe but I I too was a big fan of the Avalon uh, signing I think part of that comes from last offseason where there's a clear need for an additional lefty in the pen. Um, Blevins was the only one going into opening day, if I recall correctly. And Alderson administration, uh, the Mets in general, just could not get a deal done. Uh, it, was, it wasn't the biggest market, but there was a clear need and they just didn't fill it. So potentially going in with up to three left-handers in that pen, um, will be really strong for these Mets because you play these guys 19, 18 times a year, Freddie Freeman and Bryce Harper, especially if he stays in the division. Um, and just having the one lefty specialist there, that, especially Plevins with his only two pitch repertoire. Uh, I just think those guys figured him out. And while he gave us some good seasons uh, in the couple years prior to that, uh, apart from his injury issues, uh, I think, uh, I think, this uh, left, I think Avalon and maybe Zamora uh, can be a much better lefty specialist com- combination for a lot less money. And then if you throw Wilson on top of that, again, he'll pitch to both sides. Uh, Milky Cow- Mickey Calloway definitely has a lot of tools at his disposal. You mentioned the the three lefters, and of course the third one is Daniel Zamora, a guy that they picked up uh, uh, about this time last year when they traded Josh Smoker to the to the Pirates. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone really expected anything from Zamora at all. Probably most people didn't have the, the slightest clue of who he was, but he pitched well in the minors, and then he came up and, and really acquitted himself well in the majors. And, and yes, it wasn't a huge sample size but in in the times that he was out there when when I saw him he certainly looked like he belonged it certainly looked like he was capable of of retiring uh, major league hitters and you know that I think that was a, a pretty good trade that the the Mets executed and it wouldn't surprise me at all if Zamora was on the opening day roster no it wouldn't uh, surprise me at all either and I think um, his performance again just a few uh, under 10 innings uh really spoke to what the, why all this optimism around the Mets because they played great ball the last two months of the season. They had young guys really leading the charge with Zamora. We talked already about Jeff McNeil. And then in addition to that, they plugged their roster, all their holes filled with proven Major League veterans. And I think um, the bullpen was the last piece uh, keeping this team from contention the last couple of years. And with all these new arms in there, I definitely think uh, they will uh, close down the close down games from our starters. Uh, 
we don't need Jacob DeGrom to go eight scoreless innings every single outing anymore. And again, it's January. We'll kind of keep the optimism up, but I definitely think um, I'm excited for what these guys can do. Well, if you're an optimist, you're going to love the Tim Tebow story. Uh, Tim Tebow, he mm-hmm. got an invitation to spring training. I guess that's not a, a huge surprise. He he advanced uh, up through the uh, ladder, deservedly or not. He's uh, uh, knocking on the door in AAA. So where do you stand on the, the whole Tim Tebow experiment? Uh, yes, I sometimes hate it to admit it, but I'm um, a huge Tim Tebow fan. Uh, we my family went down to spring training. Uh, I think we saw his second game uh, when he was called up briefly two years ago to Major League, major league Spring Training. Um, got a Tim Tebow shirt as well, and uh, I loved him back with his time with the Jets too. As a baseball player, I don't know if he'll ever make it in this league. There's too much up against him with his age. He definitely possesses the physical ability. Um, but just catching up so much uh, and pitchers in this league are so good that I think they'll, they can tear him apart once he gets up here. I think we'll see him definitely. It's just too much. It'd be too much of a waste not to with uh, the fans that he brings um, maybe a September call up or something like that. If there's a opening on the 40 man roster, but I, I think that it'll, um, the beginning of the end will be uh, this year at some point. Now I am not a Tim Tebow fan, but at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, he makes people happy, and and to me yeah. that's worth something. And then when the Mets first signed him, people were saying, "Oh, this is criminal. He's taking a chance away from a guy who might actually make the majors." And and I never bought that. I was like, "Well, you know, no, I never the, the vast majority of people that they sign are not going to play one day in the majors." So. If we can sign a guy who, who A, can make people happy, and B, who's had success, admittedly in another sport, but he had great success in college, and he went to the playoffs as a starting quarterback. So he has experience that he can give to to his teammates, and his teammates can, can learn from him how to carry himself and, and, and how to conduct themselves as a professional. And... While I don't think it had much necessarily baseball upside, I thought that there were other things that that made it a worthwhile signing. Well, that's an interesting way of looking at it, and uh, I definitely have to agree with you with all that. He's just a class guy, um, but I never looked at it that way. That's a very good point. I love it when the uh, guest agrees with me. Well. So now we're going to come to the time where I'm going to ask you not to agree with me. This is a a regular um, segment of the show, and it's the crazy prediction time. So I'm going to give you a crazy prediction, and then I'm going to ask you to comment on it. Basically, I want you to tell me whether or not you think I'm crazy. And then Mm -hmm. after that, we'll we'll flip roles. You'll give me a crazy prediction, and uh, and I'll tell you that, yeah, you're you're crazy. So uh, are you ready? So despite you know the, my somewhat glowing remarks on, on the last segment, my crazy prediction <laughs> is that Tim Tebow struggles so badly this year in AAA that he quits during the middle of the year, never makes it to the majors as a baseball player. So tell me, how crazy is that? Um, I wouldn't call it crazy. Uh, he's definitely got. He already still works with SEC Network and has a lot 
going for him outside of the baseball world, obviously. And he's getting up there in age. Uh, maybe another injury um, kicks him from the field. Uh, I think he'll make a September appearance at some point. And people, some people hate it. Some people will go crazy. Tickets will be sold regardless. But I don't think you're crazy to think that he would uh, hang up the cleats after this so- year. Each each week, I I try to come up with a crazy prediction, and and I was actually successful the the past couple of weeks. I've done good, but prior to that, every (laughs) week the the guest was like, nah, I don't think that's crazy. And they never, ever come (laughs) true. The the closest closest I came to having a crazy prediction come true was uh, last year, I predicted that Yuenna Cespedes would not play again for the Mets. This was shortly after he went on the DL. They would not play again for the Mets in 2018, oh. and he came back and played one game. It, it, it killed me. It's just like you, you couldn't have taken that game off, huh? So um, perhaps this is the one that'll come true. All right, but anyway, so you you um, you don't agree with me, but you don't think that I'm crazy. So show me what a crazy prediction is like. What's your crazy prediction? My crazy prediction is that uh, Zach Wheeler becomes the true number two starter ahead of Noah Syndergaard in 2019 for this team. Well, you know, I, I think depending upon who you were talking to, you might find somebody to say that's crazy, but I, I am driving the, the Zach Wheeler bus. I uh, have been for uh, quite some time. <laughs> I, I suggested earlier that uh, the Mets were barking up the wrong tree by talking about signing Jacob deGrom to an extension. The one that they should be signing is Zach Wheeler because I think that they would get a discount with Wheeler right now when there's some hesitancy. Is he for real? Is he not? I think you get more of a discount if you'd signed Wheeler to a long-term deal right now than you would with DeGrom. So I'm, I'm all in on Wheeler, so I'm, I'm afraid I, I, I can't all say right. that I, I think that that's crazy. Um, uh, it, will he surpass Syndergaard? Eh, well, I guess that the, I think Noah was a lot better last year than people want to give him credit for. I think most people were so that's worried true. about the stolen bases he gave up and then others we're worried about all of the hits that he gave up and you know we forgot to look at hey you know he actually pitched pretty well so if he doesn't have the 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 injuries that set him back and i certainly don't think he's going to come down with hand foot and mouth disease again so uh, <laughs> yeah two years in a row. <laughs> that's a crazy prediction <laughs> right there <laughs> now you're talking absolutely can, can i file that away and use that on a future one that would be that would be <laughs> yeah. great Go so um may, maybe surpassing Syndergaard might be uh, a hair crazy but I expect Wheeler to be very good in 2019 alright well let's hope for that now let's uh, switch back uh, to the offensive side and, and the Mets uh, hired uh, Chili Davis right. to be their hitting coach and Davis uh, uh, lots of experience as a hitting coach but uh, his most recent stop was in Chicago with the Cubs and, and they removed him after just one year as their hitting instructor. So is this a red flag? Do you have any worries about this? Um, I think uh, the the power a hitting coach has over the team, the their um, the mark they leave on the team goes a little underappreciated. Uh, we saw this when Kevin Long came in. Um, was We saw a noticeable difference with a few particular hitters like uh, the Daniel Murphys in the world. Um, a lot of it is hard to tell. Is it the hitters? Is it the hitting coach? Is it luck? Um, so I'm not terribly worried. I'm not freaking out. 
he has a good track record. Uh, he's worked with good people, and I don't know how much of the Cubs hitting woes last year was due to him or due to the players or the league learning how to pitch to these players, these young hitters. Um, so, I don't know. I was pretty indifferent to the move, I would say. Uh, I'm definitely not freaking out, though. Now, I think one of the things that got Davis in trouble in Chicago was that his his style uh, is to, to teach uh, hitters to, to hit the ball to all fields, and I think some of the young uh, Cubs hitters were all in on the uh, launch angle and, and pulling the ball, and they had some, some conflict there that uh, maybe they didn't see eye to eye. And when it's the, the young star versus the uh, the hitting coach, it's pretty easy to replace the hitting coach. Mm. So so yeah, I think that uh, that was probably why his tenure in Chicago just lasted one year. But it does seem interesting to me earlier we were talking about Jeff McNeil. And if you think about uh, a Met, certainly from the 2018 team, who would embrace you know hitting to all fields and, and contact and that sort of stuff, McNeil is probably your guy. So it'll be curious to see mm-hmm. how McNeil does uh, in his follow-up season with uh, Davis as his hitting coach. Yeah, that that'll be interesting. That's something to look out for. I think uh, also City Field lends itself better to that philosophy than um, Wrigley, so that could have been part of the dismissal too, or the the up the upset um, the attitudes towards Davis's tenure in Chicago. I want to end uh, today's uh, podcast uh, talking about uh, another big picture issue, and 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 that's the Hall of Fame, and we just recently had the. Uh, induction and and uh, the Yankees' great closer Mariano Rivera became the first player in in Major League history to get a hundred percent of the votes for the Hall of Fame, which was was really quite an an honor. Uh, and and mm-hmm. personally, I I think that it's long past time that uh, they did away with that not voting for somebody just so they wouldn't have a hundred percent. So I'm glad that they that they did that. But uh, what I want to know from you is. Does it does it rankle you a little bit that uh, the it was for a, a Yankee player that a Yankee got this honor, uh, or does that not make a difference? Um, I guess it makes a little bit of a difference. Uh, I have to be biased a little. Um, I'm not surprised that it happened for a Yankee, uh, that's for sure. But it was a little bummer to see, um, especially with guys getting really close in recently years like. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr. Um, I think he had the second highest. Uh, he had, he now has the second highest. He had the highest at the time percentage. Um, but it doesn't doesn't rattle me too much. Uh, the voters are going to do what they want to do, and when it all went at the end of the day, it's they either get in or not get in. So I think uh, right now it's big news, but I think the, the long lasting impact. Uh, is really just that he's in, and um, which he should be, obviously. Um, but stings a little, I guess. But that's awesome. Before <laughs> Griffey Seaver had the uh, highest uh, percentage of the vote. That's right. And that's uh, right. certainly, as as a Mets fan, it would have been real nice for Seaver to have been the one to have have broken the honor. But we could probably name twenty people who who should have received it uh, before a Yankee. Yeah. Uh, but even what bothers me even more than the Yankee is he's a relief pitcher, and Rivera was very good, extremely good at what he did, and and no one's debating that. But when you compare 
the workload of, of a reliever, a closer especially, to, to somebody who went out and pitched every fifth day for 20 years like a Randy Johnson or a Tom Seaver or a Roger Clemens. I mean, there's just no comparison. No, I have to agree with you on that. Uh, uh, even um, pitchers like Roy Halladay that didn't have as long of a career but certainly had a special peak that uh, I think going out there and putting the team on your back every fifth day uh, is really something much harder to do. And that's why often pitchers, better pitchers, are become starters. But we shouldn't knock Mariana too much. It's kind of it's, it's his moment, and uh, I think the very best relievers belong in the hall, and he's certainly one of them. Well, Brendan, I'd like to thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, uh, you come over to Mets 360, see Brendan's column on Thursdays. Uh, just recently wrote a piece uh, about uh, the impact of David Wright uh, in his area of Virginia. And uh, any ideas what's uh, up for you uh, next week's column? Um, I got some ideas written down. Uh, I'll see what, what comes up in the news the next week and uh, see what speaks to me the most. Uh, I've been pretty optimistic in all my columns uh, so far, so um, we'll see if uh, one bashing of Wolfpond spending comes out soon. <laughs> well, I'll be uh, writing about um, uh, doing the 2019 projection for Zach Wheeler next week, so you can look you can oh, look perfect. forward to that. Um, so thanks for tuning in, and please go to Mets360.com to see me and Brendan and the host of other writers that we have at the site. All right, that's all for now. Good night, everyone, and goodbye.